Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back. Today, we are going to be hearing from another one of my beautiful past clients, and her name is Alice. I know that you all really enjoyed listening to Kate's pregnancy and birth story, so I really want to bring you more of this. So today, we're going to hear from Alice, like I said, and I think that so many of you will find this one particularly relatable. This is also a bit of a trigger warning. In this episode, we do discuss things around weight and a history of disordered eating, It doesn't dominate the whole conversation, but if you would prefer not to hear about anything to do with that, then you are so welcome to skip this episode and join us in the next episode. Um, But I do think that this will be relatable to a lot of you because Alice describes how with different practitioners, she received really different care. And I I just think that weight stigma is so prevalent in gestational diabetes. So yeah, like I said, this will be really relatable, I'm sure, to lots of people. And I think that you'll get a lot out of listening to this. And um, Alice is also so generous. She shares so many good little hot tips. So keep your, I don't know, keep your um, ears perked for everything that she shares because there are some excellent pieces of wisdom in here. And I think you're going to love this episode. So I'm going to stop talking and let you enjoy it. So let's get into it. Hello, Alice, and welcome to the Gestational Diabetes Club podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your birth story today. I'm so excited to be chatting to you. Um, Do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are? Uh, no, not a problem. Um, I'm Alice. I'm from Adelaide in South Australia, and I gave birth to my little boy on the 2nd of February this year. So, um, so yeah. beautiful. It's so exciting. And also for some context, I worked with Alice um, whilst she was pregnant with Teddy. So I think that was like towards the later stages of your pregnancy, but I also yeah. didn't have any idea really of all of the things that we're going to talk about in terms of your birth and things like that. So I've got some idea of what went on in your pregnancy, but we're going to cover all of that and I'm going to pretend that I don't know anything and <laughs> then I'm a, I'm as fresh as everybody else listening to your birth story and I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't wait to hear it because I know that it can be so helpful as well to everybody listening when they do get to hear the stories of other people going through similar things. Um, especially when we touch on gestational diabetes through your pregnancy, because it can be something that just feels so isolating. And I'm sure you're the best person to speak to, to really get a sense of what it was like for you and a real experience. So let's dive into things. So take us all the way back. Was your pregnancy planned? Yes, it was. Um, We tried for about six months before I got pregnant with Teddy um but it was a bit of a roller coaster I actually had a miscarriage before I had Teddy which was quite upsetting um but thankfully it didn't take me long after that to get pregnant again so yeah and sorry did you say like how long were you trying for before you'd had that initial miscarriage 
Um, about three months. And then okay. after the miscarriage, though, we had probably two months before I was pregnant with Teddy. So, okay. so it's not yeah. a huge stretch of time, but I imagine it felt like quite a long time whilst you were it going through that. It felt like right? forever. Yeah, it did. It did. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you fell pregnant with Teddy and how did that feel? Like, what was that like finding out you were pregnant again? I imagine there must have been some nerves mixed into that. Um, I was very excited, but yes, I did do, take like 50,000 pregnancy tests just to be sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I kept taking them for a little while. Um, didn't really sink in until the second trimester, I think, um, or at least, I mean, it did a little bit once the morning sickness started, but um, I didn't really have faith that it would last until the second trimester. So, yeah. yes. Gosh, that must have been such a mindset thing when you do have that fear in the back of your mind, but then you were able to conceive again nice and quickly. And yes, what was your experience like being pregnant? Did you experience symptoms? Like, did you have a nice journey or was it quite? Um, I had quite a cruisy pregnancy, really. I had a bit of morning sickness, but not too much. Um, I yeah, I only threw up a couple of times. So. Yeah. Um, I take that as I did pretty well. Um, but yeah, apart from the GD, it was a very cruisy pregnancy was probably pretty textbook. So, well, that's great. That's, that's really nice to hear. And I suppose like, it's hard to hear for some people when they are going through the thick of it and maybe they're dealing with hyperemesis or something like that, but it's so nice that it was just smooth and yeah, you got to maybe enjoy it a little bit more. Um, yeah. And tell me about your care system. So were you going through the public system or did you go private? What was your um, care system? I went through public with the local hospital here at Flinders um, and I saw a different midwife and a different OB every time I went in, um, which I didn't really like all that much. Um, Some I was very hit and miss. I had some that were honestly quite crap and then some that were fantastic. So um yeah so it just depended on who I saw when I went in how how the Mm -hmm. treatment went so Mm -hmm. yeah which is quite frustrating at times yeah and when you say some of them were a bit crap like what do you mean oh I had one that was really rude um Mm -hmm. I went in for I think it was my 20-week appointment Um, and she made a huge fuss saying oh you're fat you'll definitely have gestational diabetes well I she she was wondering why I hadn't been tested already and yes got quite grumpy with me for not having been tested when someone else hadn't given me the test so are you kidding me that's actually insane and I I mean yeah just the weight discrimination that sometimes you know people come up against is just so awful in the care system and like, yeah, I suppose like I've got a few things to say about that. I don't want to railroad your story too much, but no, not at all. You know, I just want to reassure you and whoever is listening that, yeah, like there is an association between having a higher BMI and developing gestational diabetes. There are also plenty of other risk factors and your weight and your BMI also doesn't reflect the type of lifestyle that you lead or any of your other like health parameters to say that you're almost certainly yeah. going to develop gestational diabetes. It's just so 
uncalled for and absolutely was, yeah. not the way to make you feel supported either. No, no. And I was so frustrated by it because she didn't ask me anything about my lifestyle, um, mm-hmm. which I'm actually, I actually eat very healthily and exercise frequently. And she had no idea about any of that. She just made an assumption based on how I looked, which really upset me. Um, but the next OB I saw was lovely. So thankfully (laughs) that was after I'd had the test and she reassured me that it wasn't my fault so absolutely it's it's never your fault like I just can't believe that I that's yeah it's so awful and especially at such a vulnerable time whilst you are pregnant and you're Mm. going through a lot potentially like you might have been going through a lot of turmoil in in terms of your emotions and symptoms and all that sort of stuff and for somebody to just have no awareness of that and to be really rude um Mm. I'm sorry that happened and we wish that all care providers were you know like the second one that that you had really nice and reassuring and like you said it's not your fault um but how did you feel once you did have that diagnosis step us through that um I was absolutely devastated when I found out um I probably cried for a few days not gonna lie um (laughs) But then, like I usually do, sort of went, all right, well, now I've got to deal with it and started looking for support. Um, Unfortunately, there wasn't much offered through the hospital to begin with. Um, Well, really at all. I sought out most of the support myself, which is how I found you. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I just sort of decided that I had to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's the best thing that you can do. And you're absolutely not alone in feeling completely devastated when you do get that diagnosis. That's what I hear so often. And again, for anybody listening, if you've cried after being diagnosed and just felt all the feels, like just get them out. Like they're all, you know, you've got to do that. I think you've got to yeah, all those emotions. After, and- I had, <laughs> after I had the good cry about it, I was able to move on and deal with it. So I think, yeah, yeah. letting yourself feel those feelings definitely helps especially when you're pregnant they're all heightened and yeah. <laughs> that's so true that's so true and um, and then you said that there wasn't much support through your care system and your hospitals so were you offered anything in terms of a diabetes educator or a dietitian so I was um told that the hospital would contact me um with like the diabetes educators would contact me um, and it took a week before they did after I was given my diagnosis with the hospital, um, which I had already known about because I saw it in my health record before I even went in for that appointment because um, there was such a big gap between appointments. So I'd known I'd had it for a while. So by the time I saw the diabetes educators, I was already in contact with you because I was so frustrated about the fact that I hadn't got anything in a timely manner. Um, and the educators that I saw at the hospital were also not the best. Um, mm. Wasn't a great experience there either. Um, and there wasn't really much follow-up with them afterwards either. So most of my support came from my friends and from you. Okay. And so. when you say your diabetes educator wasn't the best talk us through that as well I feel like I it sounds like I'm intentionally pushing for all these negative details no no all good I I think that it's important to share the experience and to know um you know what did go on so that we can 
learn how to improve on it, I suppose. Yeah. So um, she called me and said, we usually have um, girls with GD come in for a group session where we do some education mm-hmm. and then we'll follow up from there. But based on your results, you must have type 2 diabetes. So therefore, mm-hmm. you have to come in um, for an individualized appointment. And I got in and she gave me a lecture and said, you have to go straight on insulin. Um, and yes, like, got me quite mm. upset but I because I'd been keeping my numbers beforehand I showed her all my after food numbers and fasting numbers that I had been keeping a record of for a week already and she couldn't believe it because they were all perfect um, mm. and so she was a little bit shocked by the fact that I had perfect numbers and she asked if I'd changed my diet and I said I'd changed basically from white pasta to whole whole meal pasta and that was about it and she just could not believe it um and I told her that I'd done a test with my GP before I even got pregnant and it came back perfectly fine um so I questioned whether it was really type 2 and said I didn't think that you were able to be diagnosed with type 2 while you were pregnant um and she was still convinced that it was, but interesting. Yes, it's really interesting. So frustrating for you, and very frustrating. Yeah, and that your experience of the care system so far at this point in your journey has been pretty hit and miss, hasn't it? Like, in yeah, terms it has of, been. Yeah, just getting that, um, I suppose that weight thing just thrown in your face, like every continuously. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, again, like it's none of it's your fault and like you showed her, like your numbers were all great and you were eating really well and you do follow a really healthy lifestyle. Um, That's so interesting. And just in terms of like whether you can or you can't diagnose type 2 diabetes um, when you get your gestational diabetes test, I think like the based on the numbers, there's like some reference ranges that would point towards type 2 diabetes but I would be inclined to say that, yeah, it's really difficult to tease it out because pregnancy is such a unique time where everything mm-hmm. metabolically is shifting in your body. So it's not really the same as normal conditions to know whether it's type 2 or whether it is normal. And like you said, you did have that baseline test as well pre-pregnancy to yeah. know that your it didn't look like you had insulin resistance. I mean, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens Um like post-pregnancy, it's not really interesting, mm. but it's interesting for me to see whether you do or you don't yeah. have type 2 diabetes and see whether her prediction comes true. We'll see. Um, yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully um, not. It's very interesting though and really a shame that you had to experience that again. Yeah. Um, and so, it was quite, yeah, quite stressful on top of a GD diagnosis having someone say that. It's like, well, I can't even do anything to prove this until after my baby arrives absolutely what's the point in stressing me out even more while I'm pregnant absolutely absolutely um and to single you out and all those sorts of things yeah um what was I going to say and it's also very frustrating that you did have to wait that week and that's really not uncommon from what I've been learning that for a lot of people there is quite a gap Mm. between being diagnosed and then being 
followed up with somebody. Um, great that you did get some individualised support, I have to say, which is a good thing. But then did you get any follow-up after that appointment? No, I had to call up the diabetes line um, once a week and report my numbers mm-hmm. and that was it. Okay. And they didn't really yeah. give you any guidance they, when you were on that phone call? No, no, they didn't, not at all. Um, I think if my numbers had been high, I probably would have, but because they were all mm. pretty much within range, um, yeah. yeah, I think I had one or two spikes the whole time after my diagnosis so oh she did so well you did such an incredible job managing those numbers so that's that's so good to hear and did you get linked in with a dietitian through your hospital I don't think so I didn't no No. okay such a shame such a shame I wish that everybody got linked in with their own private dietitian through their hospital system it's so tricky because it's so dire it would have been amazing yes and like the the dietary advice that I was given was quite frankly terrible. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was given a handout on what you should eat and one of the things on it was toast with Vegemite. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit like, uh, that's going to spike me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on. It's, it's so hard. It's so tricky. Um, and, yeah, no, it does need to be individualised, I would say, because yeah. That might work for somebody or it might not work for somebody else. It's, yeah, a very individual thing. But anyway, let's get back to you. So you then, you did seek out me and then we started yeah. working together. And how did you find that? Oh, so helpful. Um, just learning about like balancing like carbs with proteins and fats um, and coming up with lots of lunch ideas was a game changer for me. Um mm-hmm. I was getting pretty stressed because I was eating the same thing for lunch every day because it was the only thing that didn't spike me. And then you gave me all these recipes. And I had a cooking day where I made a heap of food. And I reckon I was probably 30 weeks pregnant when I did it. I was exhausted by the end of the day. (laughs) But then I had a heap of meals in the freezer that lasted me for almost the remainder of my pregnancy. So Um, So it just made my life so much easier for the the rest of it there so that's so true yeah. meal prep goes a very long way Everybody yeah it does do some meal prep and prep before baby comes as well yes so it like just that takes freezer some, is stocked <laughs> exactly it just takes the guesswork out of everything and just made life so much easier so so good and did you have any particular challenges like what did you find to be the hardest things about having gd um I absolutely love carbs, so (laughs) I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to eat my favourite meals like pasta, which is, yeah, huge favourite of mine, Um, and I love bread. (laughs) So it was all about trying to find ways that I could eat all my favourite things that were balanced and things like that. I did find that a lot of it that I could still eat and then some meals I'd eat and have to go for a walk afterwards to keep my numbers under control um so there are a few times where I was doing a few laps around the kitchen table after dinner just so I could <laughs> eat a, <laughs> eat a meal that I enjoyed um but I didn't mind doing that I'd chuck something on the tv and watch and yeah go, go for a bit of a walk and probably was good for me anyway so <laughs> it's smart I love it like I love the innovation there it's so good um <laughs> 
And did you find that you could still incorporate things like bread and pasta in, you know, did you find ways to be able to enjoy them? Yes, I did. Um, I saw a tip somewhere, or maybe you told me about it, about reheating pasta. And that was an absolute game changer for me. I went from like cooking it that night and like eating a meal of pasta and having getting close to a spike or having to go for that walk um, to cooking the pasta in the morning for dinner and then reheating it at dinner time. And my numbers were perfect every time and it was just incredible. So, yeah, there are ways Mm. to be able to still eat your favourite foods. I love that tip for everybody listening. This is a game-changing tip um, and it's like one of my favourite nutrition facts is if you have potato or pasta or rice or like whatever starch and you've cooked it and then cooled it down again, it converts it into something called resistant starch, which is a type of fibre that basically like our body can't digest and it's great for our gut bacteria as well. Um, and because we can't really digest it, it means that the glycemic index of that food is like dramatically reduced. And it's so it's the lowest, like if you eat it cold, but if you reheat it, then the GI is still going to be lower as well. So that's a great hot tip and suggest everybody give that a go as long as it's pregnancy safe as well. So make sure you have prepared that yourself. <laughs> Don't go eating rogue potato salad. Um, <laughs> and what was I going to ask you next? So. I also wanted to touch on, you can tell me if you don't want to include this, but I know from working with you, you have a history of disordered eating and that that was something that you were also quite concerned about with GD. And like, how did that play out for you? So um, that was probably my biggest fear with GD was my history of disordered eating and eating disorders and how I would manage that um there were times where I did feel um quite restricted in the beginning um which yeah did feel quite triggering and scary um which was why I desperately needed the support in the beginning um and I started out keeping a bit of a food log to see where my numbers sat um with different meals and found that that was something that I had done when I was in the depth of an eating disorder and um, that definitely made things, like triggered off that eating disorder brain and I had to stop that. Like I did recognise that it was doing a number on my head and (laughs) stopped Mm -hmm. that. And once I stopped doing that and um, keeping such an intense record of everything I ate and just chilled out a bit, (laughs) which did take a little bit of practice, Um, I was okay. I just would keep a list of foods that were safe foods rather than the number against the food and just um, kept a list of foods and labelled some with green and some with red Mm -hmm. and um, went from there. So good system and credit to you because that that just must have been really tricky to navigate and that you were so aware of it as well and of being able to pull yourself up and pull out of that you know not slipping down that disordered mindset again I think that's that can be really tricky to do so you you did really well thank you yes navigate put a lot of effort in over the years of pulling myself out of that mindset so thankfully all that work that I've done in the past was able to save me in this situation that's so good to hear 
Um, and it, I mean, it also must have been so difficult having those experiences with those clinicians that were not particularly sensitive yeah. towards your weight or whatever might have been going on in terms of your mental state, talking about your body and your weight and food choices and things like that. It's always just so important to screen for these things and to remember that we never know where somebody's come from and what their history is with food and body, mm-hmm. and especially during pregnancy. when even if you don't have a history of this stuff, it's a time where it can just bring all of that to a head, where maybe you've never had mm-hmm. disordered eating, but particularly having something like gestational diabetes absolutely increases your risk of that and, you know, being yeah. so I'm so vigilant and fixated on what you are eating and, like you said, attaching a number to it all the time. It's so important that we acknowledge that and especially as clinicians it's so important that we acknowledge that too and tread gently, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it was definitely challenging having some of those clinicians just completely ratted off. But, yeah, yeah the, the good ones were great. The good. ones that acknowledged that past were fantastic. So, Thank God. And... Did you need medication or insulin? You said that initially they wanted to put you on insulin straight away. So did that come about? No, it didn't in the end. Um, My numbers were pretty great. Um, But, yeah, because I'd put in so much work to make sure that they would be, Um, even though you can put in all the work and it still doesn't matter sometimes. I do know that. Um, But, yeah, thankfully mine were pretty fine. the whole way through I did yeah like I said earlier have the occasional spike after a meal um but I did manage to bring my fasting numbers down by continuing with the GD diet and um exercising in the mornings and things like that so yeah yeah you did a fantastic job what do you think helped you the most going through GD um I did a lot of journaling and meditating um, to try and wrap my head around it and um, just process the emotions with it. Um, And I think that really, really helped um, because it allowed me to reframe things. um, And also just going for walks. (laughs) <laughs> was the other thing. I think that also helped my mental health as well so yeah. yeah yeah um but towards the end of pregnancy when I couldn't move very much because it was mm. just uh getting to the point that I was just sore and it was hot because it was January <laughs> um yeah I couldn't go for those walks as much so then the aircon would go on and I'd do the laps around the table with the TV on. <laughs> sit down on the couch every few minutes and take catch my breath and then get up and keep going so (laughs) yeah no they're they're great practical things actually that I think that other people would be able to implement too so you know journaling and going for walks and things like that they're so important and like you said mindset is such a big piece of it to be able to get your your head in a nicer positive space and Mm. like you said reframe things that can make such a big difference to how you go about managing your blood sugar and the whole situation and a similar question like what are the best tips that you had that you would give someone else going through it oh that's a good question um definitely the the walking is was the biggest one um for me that could 
be the difference between me being able to eat a meal that otherwise would have spiked me or um, something like that. Like I'd, yeah, be able to eat more of what I wanted to eat if I went for a walk. Um, Pairing fats, proteins and, yeah, fats and proteins with carbs was really helpful Um, and making sure that I got that balance right in my cooking. Um, And that's something that I'm doing still um, still pairing together my macronutrients where I can. Um, eating things in the right order definitely helped. So making sure that I ate fiber first, then proteins and carbs last. Um, I definitely noticed a difference when I ate them in a different order to my numbers after a meal. Um, yeah, so that was really helpful. Yeah. Cool. I love those practical tips for people. That's so cool. And yes, like you're full of those little like one percenters. I love it. So everyone, I think everyone go li- listening to this is going to just be eating up those tips. That's so good. No pun intended there. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. let's um let's change tack and we'll talk about your birth. Did you have conversations around that with any of your care providers? And did you have any birth preferences or a plan that you wanted to go by? Um, sort of, (laughs) I I had a vague plan. Um, I didn't want interventions. Um, well, in, in, yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I was comfortable with certain interventions. I was really worried about the cascade of interventions with being induced, um, and really wanted to avoid being induced. I was quite happy to go into labor spontaneously, or I was happy to have a planned cesarean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't want that cascade of interventions. So, um, so yes, I sort of had a birth plan, but that was about the extent of it. Okay. And so yeah. did you have that conversation with your doctor? Yes, I did. Um, they were, they couldn't understand why I'd prefer a C-section over, um, induction, but i only heard negative induction stories from my friends, so I was terrified of the idea of an induction. Um, but was quite happy to give birth vaginally. I just didn't want it to be induced. So, yeah. and yeah. I, I suppose the fear there is that if you do get induced and then it's unsuccessful, and then you're labouring for you know quite a while for, anyway, and then yeah, yeah have to end yeah, up and then still wind up with it exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I know that's familiar for a lot of people and that can be the risk, I suppose. And so what did you end up deciding? Um, well, I went in for my 39-week checkup um, and after having perfect blood pressure my entire pregnancy, it was elevated. So they sent me up for monitoring um, and ran some tests and came back and asked me all these questions about how I was feeling and then told me that I had preeclampsia, even though I was showing no symptoms of it. Um, so I was scheduled in for a cesarean because I'd said I didn't want the intervention. So I was scheduled in for the cesarean on my due date, which was the 3rd of February, um, and got sent home and told to come back in if I showed any symptoms at all um, and that I'd be in on because this was the Wednesday that I'd be in on the Friday. Anyway, I got home and started getting contractions. 
How about was that? <laughs> was in hospital by 5 p.m. the next day. Goodness, so. goodness me. First, I just want to go back one second because I think it might just be helpful. Can you touch on what sort of symptoms you were looking out for with preeclampsia? Um, blurry vision, headaches, things like that. Um, I can't remember them all off the top of my head because, yeah, I kind of got distracted. But when I got home, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> started yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. I just, yeah, I just think that that would be interesting for people to know about, like things like that to look mm-hmm. for. When you have GD, you are at higher risk of preeclampsia. I'm not saying you're going to get preeclampsia, but always good to have an awareness of what it is. And I'm not going to talk about it like on this podcast, it's not the right place. But yeah. have an awareness of what it is and what those symptoms could be so that you can be monitoring yourself too. But wow, for you, that is so crazy <laughs> how the body and the yeah. mind works sometimes. And it's like absolutely like little bub in there, just new. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. I think he went, Oh, okay. You want me out then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure do. Okay. And so what was that like when you started getting the contractions? Did you believe that you were going into labor? Absolutely not. I was in <laughs> complete denial until late the next day. Um, I sat in and watched a movie and um, <laughs> went to bed. They woke me up that night and I was just like, no, nope, no, nope, it's Braxton Hicks. It's fine. Um, even though I'd been having Braxton Hicks and they'd never hurt like these ones had, but they weren't hurting that bad. So I was like, well, can't really be labor. It's not not hurting me that much um got up the next day and made a little um welcome to the world card with a date on it because I was really tempting fate thinking that (laughs) I was going in for the cesarean on the Friday um and by the time I got to dinner time Tom had my husband had cooked me dinner and I would take a bite and then do a lap around the table because I was in pain in having contractions and he was like Alice, we need to call the hospital. <laughs> um, so we finally called the hospital and started timing contractions and they asked how far, how long they were and how far apart they were and I'm going, yeah, they're probably like going lasting 30 seconds and they're about three minutes apart. And they're pretty they were progressing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still completely in denial about this at this point. But got into the hospital and they put me on the monitor for a while and I was busy chatting away to the midwives. Not too bad, but still having to get up um, for each mm-hmm. contraction and walk around a bit. But, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And they, the midwives thought, oh, you're not that far along. We'll probably send you home, but I'm sure you'll be back in soon. But asked if I wanted to do a cervical check before they sent me home. And so they did the cervical check and went, oh, you're six centimetres into the wow. labor board. <laughs> <laughs> Wowee. Okay, so it was really moving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. <laughs> um, and at that point I was like, oh, okay, fine. I believe it now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a, what a journey. You probably um did your body some favours by just being so chill about it whilst you were at home and just like going to watch a movie, just going to relax. Yeah. like. You know, they always say you've got to relax through it. You were doing the most. (laughs) Yeah, I think being in denial about it helped because, yeah, I was able to relax because I was going, oh, no, it'll happen on Friday. It's fine. Yeah, that was (laughs) so good. Um, And so were you prepared? Like did you have your, you know, all of your gear ready and things like that? 
Tom put it in the car because he was he knew it was happening. He knew yeah. I was in denial and <laughs> made yeah. sure that it all came with us. Good. Um, yeah. And then, so. then what happened? So then did it continue progressing from there? Um, so I went to the labor ward and my waters broke in there in a real like movie moment. Um, where they it just broke all in one hit. Um, and yeah. after that, it, then I could not deny it after that. I was definitely in labor. Sure. I was in a lot of pain at that point. Um, but at that point, my heart rate and blood pressure decided to skyrocket. Mm. Um, and I still wound up in the emergency cesarean. Oh, <laughs> so gosh. After trying to avoid that with avoiding the induction, I still wound up in that situation anyway. But thankfully, the team at that point were incredible um, and I had a really good experience with it. So, Cool. So that's really good to hear. So after you'd been checked and you were sent over to like the birthing suite, did you continue labouring for a while there? Yeah, I did. I did for probably two hours so teddy wound up being born at 11 30 that night we got into the hospital about six o'clock so wow that's so quick everything must have just felt yeah. like it was happening so fast um, yeah it did yeah like how did you feel when they said that you did have to have a c-section um i think at that point i was relieved because the contractions were hurting so much i was just ready to be for it to be done i was just like just get him out yeah i'm over this now um yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I was yeah. exhausted because even though I'd been in denial about the contractions all day, it was still exhausting. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It would yeah. be exhausting. Okay, so then you have the C-section and did that all go smoothly? It did actually. It went really yeah. smoothly and the recovery from that for me was quite straightforward. Um, and, yeah, I've done really well on the recovery from the cesarean. So I was awesome. quite happy with that whole experience in the end, yeah. Oh, fab. And had you done, like, obviously that you knew that that was probably like an option on the table a little while before all of that went on. So did you have, like, I suppose had you mentally prepared in some way for what it was going to be like to go in for a C-section and what would be involved and the recovery and things like yeah. that? Or was it a surprise? No, I think I had um, because I had booked in for one on that Friday, even though I yeah. <laughs> didn't wind up having that one particular one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think having that preparation has def- or definitely helped. So, yeah. I suppose like yeah. what I'm getting at is like that I think that it's important to know your options and to be having conversations yeah, yeah. beforehand, you know, if you can. Absolutely. And, and to be getting information about you know, what it would be like if you did go into spontaneous labour versus have an induction versus having a C-section, like so that you've got all of that education and information in your Mm. mind so that you aren't suddenly like, oh, I didn't know that this was going to happen because that can be a lot more scary and a lot more traumatic than if you do go in with some idea and, um, yeah, like I said, to be able to just mentally prepare yourself a little bit better for the situation. Absolutely, You did really well. And then, um, like, did you have any preferences around what would happen, like, once he had been born in terms of, like, delayed cord clamping or anything like that? Yes, I did. So I wanted the delayed cord clamping and I uh, wanted skin to skin as soon as possible and they managed to have both for me. So That's great. um, And the other thing was we didn't know what we were having until 
he was born. So we wanted to discover that ourselves and not have them tell us and go, it's a boy. So they held him up and we got to do that ourselves. So that was oh, great. So exciting. Um, oh, my gosh, that must have been just the best feeling. Like, did you have any it was amazing. of whether it was going to be a boy or a girl? I thought it was a boy all along, but I, yeah. So cool. um, I wasn't confident in myself in that. But, yeah, looking back, I definitely thought it was a boy. That's so cool. It's always like a little bit spooky when you just feel like you know. That's I love that. Yeah. And did you have a name already lined up? Yes, we did. We did. Um, it was the only boy's name that we could agree on. So <laughs> we're hoping that next time we have a girl, just in case, because we still yeah. can't agree on any other boy's Oh, that's so good. Um, And then after you had given birth, was Teddy's sugar checked? And was your sugar checked? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, Mine was checked probably on day two in the hospital. Um, They left it for the first day. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, Teddy's were checked immediately afterwards. And then uh, every couple of hours, I think it was a bit of a blur now looking back. Yeah, Um, Yeah, for sure. But they definitely were checked. Yes. And were there any they issues? Fine. They were fine. Great. And what about yours? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Mine were fine. Mine were Fantastic. great. And I, I couldn't believe it because they brought me breakfast that was like wheat bix and toast and just carbs <laughs> on carbs and nothing else. And I was like, oh. Um, and Fantastic. Yeah, I had perfect numbers <laughs> after that. So I was very excited. <laughs> the best feeling. And then when you're like, ah, can yeah. you go and have that massive bowl of pasta and everything that you want to have after yeah. you've just given birth, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And um, were there any other, like, any complications, anything um, that was difficult to navigate in terms of Teddy's health or your health? Like, was there, was it smooth sailing, I guess, or were there things that needed to be monitored? Uh, No, it was pretty smooth sailing, really. Um, Yeah, Teddy had his sugars checked, um, but that was it, really, um, other than the normal, like, standard checks and stuff like that. Um, Great. Yeah. Health-wise, everything was pretty great. So Amazing. And then how long did you stay in yeah. the school for or were you back home pretty quickly? Um, back home by day three. So Amazing. Yeah. And you said that yeah. recovery has been pretty pretty good so far. I mean, you're about 10 yes. weeks postpartum now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been – I um, was up and about pretty quickly, um, recovered quite easily, thankfully um and yeah it was yeah pretty smooth sailing actually so that's you've been so fortunate I think for some parts of this journey which is just amazing yeah yeah it's been yeah. really positive and what about um breastfeeding were you intending to breastfeed I was intending to breastfeed that's that's been the challenge that right. I did not realizing that realize that breastfeeding would be so hard um okay. part of having a cesarean is you know it takes longer to come in um yeah. and so that happened I had a pretty traumatic family thing happen around Teddy's birth um which was quite overwhelming and I think that all the emotions around that probably stressed me out as well um so that didn't help with breastfeeding either I think um And, yeah, so when we came home from the hospital, we had the follow-up appointment with a midwife and Teddy had lost too much weight. So we had to do top-ups with formula 
And that cascaded with poor advice about breastfeeding from different people every time that I saw um, and has led to combination feeding so far. So he's I'm still breastfeeding, but no not exclusively, which is what I'd hoped for. So mm. I mean, every breastfeeding journey is so different and every breastfeeding journey is perfect, just like every birth story is perfect. It's, you know, whenever we get a healthy hopefully healthy, alive baby. Mm. That's that's the main thing, right? And you've got to do what you exactly. And it's yeah it's it sucks when it's not what you wanted to do. But at the end yeah. of the day, if Teddy's getting fed, that's the, and you know exactly we, we used to have those sayings of like breast is best. And of course like we if you can breastfeed and you want to breastfeed, yeah. like that's amazing. But fed is best really is like the yeah. message right? yeah fed is best and yeah. so if you're still able to do some breastfeeding that's that's great and yeah how, how is that now like have you got um what am I trying to say what's the I've lost the <laughs> phrase <laughs> have you got good established breastfeeding um or is that still tricky um it we had for a while and it's starting to peter off now um he's starting to want more and more food because he's yeah getting older and hungrier (laughs) yeah so um I'm just happy that I've managed to go for as long as I have um and I think I'll still be able to manage a few more weeks maybe another month but I don't know that there's much left there I've put a lot of energy into upping my supply and it's just not getting anywhere so yeah which has been quite emotional to deal with but um I think once I came around to the fact that I've done my best and um yes like you said fed is best as long as he's growing and he's happy and healthy which he's a very happy little boy um then I'm doing the best I can for him and I'd rather be able to be there for him than spend all my time worrying about pumping and stressing over my supply when I could instead be playing with him and bonding with my son so bond and show love and you know foster that connection in so many different ways and exactly I've been able to do some I'm sure feels really special but there's so many other ways you can have a special um experience together so that's exactly yeah and I think that it's also helpful to hear that kind of really realistic experience where sometimes it's not perfect Mm. and there's different ways to go about it and that's totally okay it's totally normal too yeah Um, I suppose it's like another question on that did you express any colostrum before giving birth was that possible for you I did yes I did Um, great uh, I didn't get too much but yes we did we did have a little supply there I think we've got a little bit left Mm. so Yeah, yeah cool liquid gold hey and yeah. did you see a lactation consultant at any point or have you? I did. I saw a couple actually. So I saw yeah, some through the right. hospital, um, saw a community nurse through CAFs in, um, here in South Australia and they were really helpful. But, yeah, no matter yeah. what advice that mm. I've been given and tried, it's just which is all, you know, conflicting between person to person. So, um yeah, That's which hard. probably didn't help. I think if I'd seen someone consistently, I might be in a, like a consistent person the whole way through. I might be in a different place. But, True. yeah, you've got to be able to um, 
access that consistent healthcare, which is, I think is one of the biggest issues around pregnancy and childbirth is the consistency of care. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'd agree I with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you, you did an amazing job, like, finding support and getting support and trying to implement um, and you're doing what you can and that's what matters. Yeah. And let, tell me a little bit about Teddy otherwise. You said off air, he's very smiley, he's very happy. Yes. Tell, tell everyone about Teddy. Um, he is adorable. Well, I, I know I'm probably biased, <laughs> but, yeah, I think he's adorable. Um, yeah, he's learnt to smile recently, so he's smiling away constantly. Um, yeah, he's just adorable. Happy, and <laughs> um, what, Learning what, how, new things all the time. What did he weigh when he came out? Um, 3.3 kilos. I think he was 50th centile. So, yeah, yep. I, I was told that he was going to be huge my whole pregnancy and he came out exactly bang on 50th. So, Interesting. <laughs> I think that's so common yep. that sometimes those measurements are pretty inaccurate, but great yep. that he was nice, healthy size and that he sounds like he yes. is thriving at the moment. Um, yes, and how's, how's your sleep? Um, pretty good recently. Um, touch wood, it stays that way. <laughs> um, have the odd night here and there where he decides that he doesn't want to recognize that it's nighttime anymore. But for the most part, he's doing really well. He's going to bed at about seven thirty at night, waking up for a feed, and going back to sleep. So fantastic! But we like to yeah. hear. Hopefully, yes. fingers wood. Fingers, I just said fingers wood. Fingers crossed, touch wood, <laughs> that it all does stay that yeah. way and that it stays um, yeah. nice for you. And I guess, like, another question, like, have you maintained, I know you said before that you have maintained some of these things, but have you maintained some of the lifestyle changes that you made during gestational diabetes now in your postpartum journey? Um, when I have a chance to cook, which I'm slowly getting more and more of a chance to now mm. that Teddy's settling into more of a routine, um, we, I, I'm trying to do those, like the, um, balance of macronutrients as much as possible. Um, now that I've recovered properly, we're back to walking as much as possible and, which is really nice being able to take Teddy for a walk around, um, mm. He's every time we go out, he's like wide eyed looking around, going, Oh my God, this whole new world. <laughs> just exciting to see. It just makes walking even more fun. Um, yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, yeah. I suppose we should wrap up. And thank you so much for sharing everything about your GD journey and your birth. I know that, no it's, like I said, it's just so helpful and it's so generous of you to share so openly and talk through the things that were hard and the things that were good. And it sounds like you really had a bit of an up and down experience overall. Yeah. 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 I did. We're worth it in the end, though. Um, I know that's cliche, but yeah, it really, <laughs> it really is. And I suppose, do you have any like last pieces of advice for the listeners, like around any parts of the whole experience? I wish I had spent more time preparing for when Teddy was here and not worrying so much about the birth itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably my <laughs> biggest piece of advice is pregnancy is only nine months and True. you'll get through it. The the after parts, the, the bit that I wish I'd prepared for a bit more. Um, so true. <laughs> yeah. 
I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. And I think that that is fantastic advice to everybody to make sure you are looking after your future self. So do the things that you will thank yeah. yourself for whilst you are pregnant and whilst you can. <laughs> exactly, thank, yes. Thank you again, Alice. It's been so nice to chat to you. Um, and I'm sure everyone's no going to love listening to this episode. So thanks so much for coming on. Not a problem. Now that is it for today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed hearing from Alice and I'm just so excited to be able to bring you these client stories and I've definitely got some more lined up. So be excited about that. I also just wanted to emphasize again that this conversation really did highlight that there's so much weight stigma in the gestational diabetes world. And I think that it's such a shame because we know that weight is not a great determinant of somebody's health status. And there's so much that goes on, um, you know, in your body that's out and in your lifestyle that is not to do with your weight. And it's such a shame that Alice did experience some of that weight stigma. And I, I also just want to highlight that if, if that was relatable to you in terms of bringing up pregnancy and gestational diabetes, bringing up thoughts around disordered eating or, you know, thoughts around your body image that are negative and detrimental to your overall mental well-being, then please, please reach out for support. Don't wait. Don't sit on those thoughts because they can easily spiral and it can get so much worse. And there's different ways of managing gestational diabetes so that you don't have to be like hyper fixating on your food and numbers and things like that. And I think that that's something key that I just wanted to point out from Alice's story that she mentioned that really tracking and fixating on that food and the numbers was so detrimental to her mental health and just she could feel herself slipping down that disordered pathway again. And everybody can be managed in a unique way. So we didn't need to be religiously like tracking everything for her because it wasn't working. So if that's something that like stood out to you as well, then I just want to highlight like please get support. Um, you can reach out to me if you like or somebody else like a psychologist or a different dietitian. And if you did want to reach out to me, um, the best way is on Instagram. My handle is nutrition.by.helena. And I offer coaching packages where we work together quite intensively for six weeks. And that includes weekly check-ins over Zoom, daily messaging support, um, and two weekly meal plans. So you can just completely outsource like all the numbers and the thinking around food to me and not need to write everything down because I can have my eyes on it instead. So please keep that in mind. That's just like a brief overview. So if you did want to chat more about that, please get in touch. But like I said, I I just think that it's such a shame that there is a lot of weight stigma and that different, when you see different practitioners, you might have a different experience and a different type of care. And that's, um, that's not okay. And if there are any practitioners listening, then please know that it can really affect somebody how you speak to them and the things that you say. So we all need to be so conscious and aware of that and do our bit to make all health practitioners um, and all offices and <laughs> workplaces a safe environment for everybody. So I just wanted to say that. Um, but I also hope that you got some really good tips from Alice. She shared some really awesome things. So I hope you were listening for those. And yeah, I'll leave it there. I really hope that you have an excellent day. And like I said, come and follow me on Instagram, nutrition.by.helena. Get in touch if you wanted to find out how to work with me. And otherwise, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. I would appreciate that so, so, so much. 
But yeah, I'll leave you there and we will chat soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.